Welcome to the Make Disciples podcast, a short weekly podcast where we will share topics, ideas, and resources useful to you in your effort to follow Jesus as a disciple. Welcome once again to the Make Disciples podcast. I am merely David McNeely, one of the pastors here on staff, joined by the eminent Dan Rober, also uh, one of our uh, ministers here uh, on staff. And uh, this is the middle of October, and uh, normally speaking, all over uh, America, this is when leaves are changing colors, and yet I'm still swimming in my pool um, here in Tallahassee. Don't know if that's what you guys are doing as well. Welcome to Florida. <laughs> so, and one of the reasons uh, I wanted to get you in here, and this is where there's those most excited about this whole series that we're doing, is uh, you have done a great job in our membership seminar over the years of talking about what are the major and even minor divisions, or let me say it this way the macro divisions that we have uh, as a church, and then what are some of those uh, micro divisions that we have? We can spend time on this podcast as well as the next one, if you don't mind, and uh, doing that. So broad question uh, for you starting out. Why are there divisions in the church? Jesus said he wants a unified church. Why do we even have divisions? Yeah, that call in John that they might be one seems a little bit out of place today because (laughs) This question of divisions is a huge one, and it's an important one because there are so many divisions. What I talk with my students about uh, when I'm teaching this, uh, my unit on Christianity, is that people who study this have found as many as 42,000 different divisions within Christianity amongst the 2.4 billion Christians around the globe today. In fact, they find that uh, there's one new Christian denomination that starts pretty much every single week around the globe. Now, one of the reasons for that is because there's a church here and there that pops up and says, what are you going to be a part of? I'm not going to be a part of anything. I'm just going to start <laughs> my own thing um, and do it. But you're right. This feels like a far cry from that one and holy and universal church uh, that we're looking for. The simple answer to your question is this. The church is made up of humans. <laughs> And humans are fallen individuals. We're drawn in by pride and lust for power, and we get tripped up by disagreements. And this is just at our church here at Wildwood. So if that's what we struggle with here at Wildwood, of course the entire church is going to deal with these same kind of things. And so throughout the history of the church, we've seen people uh, divide for any number of reasons. I mean, the joke that we make in church land is people are going to divide over the carpet color, which actually we're changing the carpet color the yes. week that this is releasing. Yes. So um, we'll see what happens with that. We have a mass exodus. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Carpet is changing here. But there's any sort of number of reasons why people divide. And so in the history of Christianity, we can just group it for our own Uh, sake of understanding into three major groups in the world today, that of Catholics and Orthodox and Protestants. So talk about each of these uh, divisions then. So Catholics, Orthodox, Protestants, uh, when did all of that start? Yeah. So we're going to get into the weeds a little bit here. So fair warning for everybody. Uh, The first major division that uh, we know of today is this division between what is now the Catholic Church, and what is now the various Orthodox churches. So the first couple hundred years of the church lived under persecution. It was growing, but it was growing in the midst of a Roman Empire that wasn't always particularly friendly to it. After the Edict of Milan uh, under the reign of Constantine, where it became a permitted 
religion, it absolutely takes off. And so it grows and becomes bigger in number, but also bigger in power. So that at the beginning of the fourth century, it becomes a tolerated church. But by the end of the fourth century, Christianity becomes the official church of the Roman Empire. And what's sad about here is the persecuted church actually becomes the persecuting church. And that furthers uh, even more because uh, as the Roman Empire continues to fall and divide and become a shadow of its former self, it creates a bit of a power vacuum. And the one entity that can really step into that is the church. And so it provides a bit of constancy in a world that's constantly changing, but it also centralizes power a little bit. And we can see this uh, when Charlemagne is coronated in 800. It inaugurates centuries of what we refer to as Christendom. The power of the church at this point is rivaling or even supplanting political leadership. But what's going on at the exact same time as all this is happening is we're seeing a division within the church that at times is a little natural. We see Two churches are beginning to form in the East and in the West. And it's not necessarily because of anything bad as much as it's just people who are having different ideas that fit within Christianity. And we can summarize it by saying we have a Greek-speaking church in the East, and Greek was the original language that was spoken by uh, a lot of uh, individuals. And then you have this Latin-speaking church in the West. And we see the growth of a number of different churches, especially centers of Christianity in places that make sense to us. Jerusalem would have been one of those centers as the origin of the church, but also Antioch, which is talked about quite a bit in the book of Acts, Alexandria as a center of learning with that library of Alexandria, Constantinople with this uh, center of the church that Constantine himself establishes, and then Rome, obviously, as the center of the Roman Catholic Church. Each of them have their own bishop or leader, but they start to have a little bit of a power struggle themselves. The bishop of the church in Rome has a habit of thinking himself to be just a little more important than others. The phrase that he uses is primus inter pares, which means first among equals. And uh, another phrase that he would use is he is the papa of Christianity, or the term we know today, the pope. And so we start to see this division going on between East and West. This East-West division that occurs, is this what historians refer to as the Great Schism? That's exactly what we're talking about. Uh, And so when does that occur? Yeah. So we start to see issues come uh, to the foreground as there's uh, disagreements that become much bigger in uh, issue. The first one, the one that historians point to, is this issue of the use of icons. Now, we know icons as things that show up on your desktop computer or things that you click on or on your phone or all that. But what we're talking about here is some of the original icons, two-dimensional drawings that some churches had been using as ways to draw their attention to the importance of their faith. Pictures of Jesus or of Mary or of other saints, and they would be important to them. But there's a division in the church that breaks it down into two camps. You have iconoduals or icon worshipers in the East and iconoclasts or icon breakers primarily uh, in the West. And uh, there's disagreement. And as we talked about in a previous episode, that leads to a council. They call together a council to come together and try to resolve this 
and the Bishop of Rome plays an outsized role here. But the thing is, it's not fully figured out. They say, we're going to allow it, but then they go back and they disallow icons again, and they allow them again and disallow them. They don't fully have it figured out, but it does strengthen the Bishop of Rome's position. But the straw that breaks the camel's back here actually comes about in that great schism in 1054. And what happens is the Bishop of Rome makes a decision on his own. The crazy thing about this is it's one word. He visits one of the creeds, the Nicene Creed, and he says there's something missing in this creed. It says that the Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father, and he says, you know what, there's something missing here, because the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Latin term is filioqua, and he just decides to add it. One word. And he adds that term, and that does not go over very well. And there were efforts to find common ground, and there's other political things at play here as well that we don't have time to get into. Uh, But essentially what happens is any discussions break down, and it ends with the Bishop of Rome having his emissary excommunicate the church leader of the church in Constantinople. To excommunicate means simply to kick out of the church, to which the leader at Constantinople says, you can't kick me out of the church, I'm kicking you out of the church. And all of a sudden, we have a church in the West led by Rome and churches in the East that are led by all of those other leaders. So just as uh, with Ananias and Sapphira, the church started out with sinful people. The church continues to have sinful people. And just like you pointed out, we to this day are sinful people. So there's always going to be conflict, sounds like it here. So I got it. This is why we have a Catholic church, which is centered in Rome, thus the name Roman Catholic Church, under one leader, the Pope. And the churches in the East, collectively known as the Orthodox Church, but with many varieties, such as the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, etc. So where do the Protestants fit into all this? Where do they come from? Yeah, Uh, another big question. So the Roman Catholic Church dominates Europe, but especially Western Europe from the 11th to the 15th centuries. And uh, One of the ways we can see that power is through magnificent cathedrals. I've never visited Europe, but I've looked at pictures and it's amazing what they could do a thousand years ago. It's incredible. But it's also seen through things like the Crusades and a number of medieval inquisitions to root out heresy, to put people to death if they didn't line up with what they thought. But there were also many problems with the Roman Catholic Church as well. So Ewan Cameron describes it this way in his book, The European Reformation. He says, every traditional epithet applied to the church, one holy Catholic apostolic, had been somehow put in doubt in the 15th century. Unity by schisms, holiness by moral failings, Catholicity by lack of general agreement, apostolicity by doubts about individual Popes. It's a crazy time in the Roman Catholic Church. We see power struggles that has popes deposing political leaders at will, but we even see disagreement about who the pope even is. There's one particular example where one person says he's the pope, another person says he's the pope. They call a council to figure out who the pope is, and that actually brings up a third pope, so that there are three popes that are all claiming to be the leader at the same time. And it's generally a failure of the church to maintain morality in its ranks. Now, throughout all of this, there are people who are trying to improve the church, to change the church for the better, but for their efforts, they're usually killed. They're usually sent to uh, the stake and be burned. 
That is until a man named Martin Luther comes along and seeks to change the church, uh, first from within, but after his excommunication in 1521, by beginning a new protest movement. You hear it, right? Protest Protestant movement against the Catholic Church. All right. So uh, way more to talk about here. Brings up several questions in my mind that I'd love for you to address. Uh, We're going to have to do that in the next episode. For now, what should we, 21st century Protestant believers, uh, Wildwood Church, Tallahassee, and anybody else who's listening, what should we uh, take from this right now? Yeah. And that's an important point because we've been talking about how history is more than just ideas in the past. Um, I think we have to pay attention to a lot of things that are going on. First of all, these divisions exist. We know that. And they're significant enough to continue these divisions. I don't think that we're going to be able to go out and bring all the Catholics and all the Orthodox and all the Protestants together. Even though it's been tried. It's been tried. And we aren't there yet. But we also believe it exists under the broad umbrella of Christianity. I personally am convinced that we will see Catholics and Orthodox and Protestant believers in heaven. And so let's make that abundantly clear. We are no longer at this idea that one is creation of the Antichrist or something like that. Uh, We believe that there is truth in them and there are disagreements that we have at the exact same time. I also think it tells us that we do need to contend for our faith. And if there are people who are leading us astray from the faith that we were commended with, then we need to be willing to move away if it leads to that. But I think the big idea is that we need to watch out for the same pitfalls. These lust for power and pride and this failure to hold on to foundational doctrines as defined Christianity are the same issues that we're going to face throughout our lives. And uh, if the Lord tarries a million years from now, we have to contend for the faith in our particular environments. Which let me close it this way for this episode, which is, uh, again, a part of why I'm excited we're studying right now sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. What are the essential beliefs? Because I would agree with you. I think we will see um, people from all kinds of different denominations. We are in no way, shape, or form saying that every person in all these denominations are going to be in heaven. We're not saying that. Uh, We're not even saying that most will. What we're saying is we're going to see some from every tribe and tongue and nation and even religions that may at least get the gospel message and but may have some other uh, horrendous things. So Hey, thanks for this. I uh, want to get you to stick around. Uh, I've got more questions to ask. <laughs> Some of them we won't be able to get to, but want to talk more about uh, specifically Protestant dominations. So thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the Make Disciples podcast. We would love it if you would subscribe, leave a review, and spread the word. This podcast can be found in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This podcast is a ministry of Wildwood Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Please join us again for our next episode of Make Disciples.